Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. This is one of a series of interviews posted on our website and YouTube channel, where we will hear from experienced missionaries sharing stories and insights from their journeys. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Hello again, I'm Christine Patterson, lifelong cross-cultural missions worker and trainer. I'd like to welcome you to this interview today with Lydia David. Lydia worked with us in China for a number of years after first doing our foundational training year called Antioch School of Missions. She then took a break for family reasons in Canada for a while, followed by another stint of cross-cultural work in Turkey. However, that came to an abrupt halt when she experienced the sudden onset of a serious autoimmune disorder and had to return to the UK. I really appreciate Lydia being willing to share her story with us today. Okay, let's jump into the interview today. Lydia, thanks so much for agreeing to be interviewed. It's so good oh, to see you again. <laughs> Hi. Okay. So let's start at the beginning and ask you about your background, how you came to faith and how a call to missions came into the picture for you. Yeah, so um, so I'm, I'm from the UK originally in the Cotswolds and um, I wasn't raised in a Christian family at all. Um, and yeah, had no kind of context at all for, for faith or Christianity other than Christmas nativity plays. That was about as much as, <laughs> as, as I knew. Um, and then uh, when I was 11, my mum passed away very suddenly, which sent our whole family into an awful lot of turmoil. And my dad was working away at the time. So um, yeah, it just left me with an awful lot of questions about life, death, who am I? What's it for? And um, all of those, uh, you know, teenage questions that come anyway. And um, yeah, just uh, encountered a few Christians at school. Um, and yeah, they just kind of caught me up in what, what they were caught up in, really. And um, then uh, so that was my first sort of encounter with Christianity. And then I, I left home and moved to Cheltenham um, when I was uh, 17 and moved into a shared house um, with a whole load of Christians and uh, joined in with their discipleship training year. So that was a, a kind of a, a big eye opener in some ways to, to oh. sort of that being my first sort of encounter with faith coming straight into a year like that. So I learned an awful lot about myself, um, learned a lot about the fact that, um, yeah, Christians aren't just boring people who sit in cold stone buildings all day long. <laughs> and actually just really started to see that, that they were living for something different and had something that I wanted really, which was um, joy and peace and, and purpose in life. And it was something that was, yeah, just very attractive to me really. And um, and I think in, it was in Jesus that I met a lot of those answers that I'd been asking for a few years in, in, in teenagehood really about um all of those existential questions who am i what am i doing you know how do i choose my university course what does life look like and you know how do i treat people how do you know all of those sorts of questions really so that was how i came to faith um yeah and uh, really got uh, caught up in in church life and serving and all of those sorts of things um and went to university after that and then moved back to cheltenham and started working as an occupational therapist um, and 
yeah just in terms of the, the call to, to mission God really took me by surprise with that I'd been on a short-term mission trip to Brazil when I was I think I must have been about 19 and while it was a great experience I came away going that nah, missions is not for me that was that was fun for a few weeks but that's uh, now I know that's not for me and uh, yeah anyway a number of years later um, everywhere I turned China just kept popping up you know and, and uh, yeah just uh, well everywhere I turned it was you know something about Asia and all the rest of it and even with work as well I got an invite to on a study tour out there as well just to see what healthcare looks like out there in China and it all just came at once really and um, it started to dawn on me that that maybe this isn't just a whole load of coincidences that I'm getting bombarded with and just started to ask the question of God is that you <laughs> are you trying to tell me something and uh, I guess the more I prayed about it that the, the the, the more I got excited about this idea of mission and really felt that, that God was in it. And there were, yeah, just a number of um, miracles really around finances and things falling into place and meeting just the right people at just the right time. And those conversations that come out of the blue and uh, yeah, that was, that was enough for me to be convinced and mm -hmm. set the wheels on in motion to um, yeah, come and join the, the Antioch school of missions and uh, yeah, I think the whole process was a couple of years from when I first thought that that God might be speaking about missions to actually hitting the mission field and um, jumping in feet first, really. Right. How long ago was that? So that was 2008 was uh, when I moved out there. <laughs> so tell us about the foundational year of ASM then and what was helpful, what did you struggle with and what were your main takeaways about the value of cross-cultural training? Yeah, I, I think the cross-cultural training was massively important because um, especially coming from rural England where <laughs> we, right. we're not very multicultural around here and I hadn't even really thought much. It hadn't occurred to me that, that actually stepping into another culture means stepping into a whole different set of values, a whole different way of communicating other than language, um, a whole different way of operating really. Um, so obviously landing in China, you know, I was thinking that, well, language would be a barrier, but once once I get the language nailed, then that will be fine. But actually realizing that cross-cultural work is so much more than just learning mm. how to form words to be understood. It was about actually how to build with people and how to connect heart to heart and, you know, not have a conversation and actually realize that you're talking about two completely different things just because of the way that something had been um, expressed. Mm. and. Uh, so that first year was was really important as we journeyed it out together as a team, all of us coming from different nations. So even within our home, right. <laughs> we had a, a few different nations represented there as well, which, of course, brought all of its own set of cross-culture challenges exactly. as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was it was a really important year. And, and obviously studying language alongside that um, mm -hmm. was really important just to give so just a bit more of a soft landing really and um i think i think one of the key things in that year was actually learning that i had an awful lot to learn <laughs> rather than just coming with this simplistic view of like oh yeah you know i'm a missionary now and we're going to see you know people come to jesus left right and center and it's going to be great and then realizing that actually there, there are so many intricacies of what it means to, to build in another culture connect mm -hmm. with people um even just understanding faith backgrounds when people haven't been raised in a you mm -hmm. know western white community where 
we do do nativity plays and people at least know the name of Jesus you know in, in other cultures that's not even the case so you have to really come in with a posture of learning um and listening before ever you know stepping forward and, and sort of bringing my views to the table really so. okay so um one of the things that people often mention when you're with other um people from other cultures on a team is that actually some people used to say i didn't have any problem with the chinese culture but the other, cult <laughs> other cultures on the team that's another matter so did you have struggles there yeah, we did. We certainly did. Um, we, because in in the house where I was living, I, I mean, I was in my early twenties, single, um, and then I was there with a, an, an older couple who um, were coming in from the states. So we had cross culture and um, very different personalities and worldviews, um, plus age differences as well, plus plus mm -hmm. different you know, context, I wanted to be out and about doing things and they wanted, you know, a little bit more peace and quiet in the house. And <laughs> so it really, it really was like stepping into a pressure cooker in many ways. And, it, and in some ways, as you say, learning, I expected to be yeah. learning a lot about Chinese culture. Yeah. That, that didn't take me by surprise. But I think um, some of the challenges within in the home and learning how to be a team and learning how to love and support one another um, as brothers and sisters in Christ was um, that was that was a challenge I wasn't expecting in quite that same way but <laughs> really yeah. key to learn it though isn't it yeah it is yeah so um, how about after that first year what what did you go on to do and what were the joys and challenges of that yeah so after that um, first year that was just a really great um, springboard for yeah just be, being free to explore lots of different avenues um, in the large city in central China where I was um, living at the time um, so I stuck around there for a while carried on with um, language learning and um, yeah I, I just said to God whatever you bring my way I'll, I promise you I'll give you my yes and mm. it was amazing the doors that opened to different areas of society um, just meeting a few really key people who, who opened those doors further into um, the Muslim community that's out there which apparently was quite notorious for being sort of quite closed and insular so I, I met a friend who became um, my closest Chinese friend actually and she was sort of welcoming into her family home and into that quarter of the city and um, so that was really amazing to be able to have those faith conversations mm. with Muslim Chinese people um, and then also just uh, using my background as an occupational therapist as well just to be able to engage in a healthcare setting so I did a little bit of work in um, the local hospital with um, a physio who, who I was on team with um, and, and also uh, one of the church networks was really keen to um, look at how how to take care of vulnerable elderly people in the community mm -hmm. um, because social services just doesn't really <laughs> exist in the same way out there mm -hmm. so um, they were finding that with a, a, a huge aging population with not so many children to take care of them since the one child policy being around um, that became um, quite an issue in Chinese culture. So I was working with, with them to look at how they support, what kind of model they can use to support elderly people who are more vulnerable and becoming more elderly and um, perhaps unwell. Mm. And uh, so it was, it was really great. <laughs> Fantastic, great. And then after that, you moved on to another city, didn't you? For how long was that? For a year or so? I did, yeah, for a couple of years. So I, I um, 
because I was doing some work in, in healthcare, um, there was a, a big earthquake in, in the West. And um, so lots of people just sort of gathered who had healthcare backgrounds to go up there and do some of the initial sort of triaging and looking at um, rehabilitation after injuries and what have you. So I went up there for a, a, a couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, they, they were they had a vision for a new project to look at um, reaching some of the very, very remote communities up in the mountains mm-hmm. uh, with health care, especially around uh, rehab after injury or sickness. Um, so, yeah, so that set, set the wheels in motion for me to, to leave the city where I had been and to um, head up to a, a far more rural city, which had another whole different set of uh, your cultural norms that I had to get yeah. used to and learn to work within and another language as well although I didn't get too far learning that I could get by <laughs> with the, the language I'd already learned um so yeah so that was amazing really because that was working amongst people who were an unreached people group and um historically had been a very closed area and until this earthquake has happened um so yeah we got to really sow some of those seeds um, in the very early days, uh, especially with regards to prayer and just saturating the the place with prayer and just hearing God and seeking him prophetically to know how to engage with a culture that has never, uh, you know, most of them hadn't seen a white person before, let alone heard about, um, you know, the the faith that we were bringing in really. So, um, so that was amazing in many ways as well. So, yeah. So but, um, then you then you were well. No, first of all, tell us about your support network. That you know the people that you were um, relying on for your own prayer and support. Whether how did that come together for you? Yeah, so that was that was really exciting because um, so a, a lot of those folks were um, people back in the UK. We've been in life group together, or from my home church and um, some of the other churches that I'd. Um, you know had some relationship with in the UK and um as I was preparing to to move overseas and um to come to the mission field um you know it was really important to bring them along on the journey as well and actually you know be praying into that and um getting them excited for for the work as well because no one's an island you need a team and um you need people behind you and you need to know that you've got that prayer covering as well so um so actually it was amazing really because those guys were getting just as excited about me going overseas as I was and you know just really dreaming together about you know what that could look like and what God was doing and and just spending that time in prayer just listening to him um but also some of the practical things as well like raising finances um you know they they were really behind me which was amazing because I couldn't have done it by myself so um yeah how did you keep connected while while you were there did you do um well what was it in those days it wasn't zoom was it so it was skype yeah back in the early days of skype yeah (laughs) so um yeah so that was good so um we did videos so um mary who she was the one who headed up my my home team and uh, so i did a lot of video calling with mary and um and also calling into the home group over there as well when they would meet together i think we even did a couple with um with the church as well on the, the big screen in church one sunday so <laughs> yeah. that was a 
middle of the night call for us in China right. to meet their, <laughs> their time over there. In fact, I think I was in my pajamas, which I hadn't really thought through very well. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, still, so it was, was a way of keeping them on board with what you were doing. That's great. So, it um, was, yeah. And I did uh, monthly newsletters as well um, and lots of photographs because I think a photo speaks a thousand words, really. Right. Um, so, yeah, just having these little snapshots of what was going on was quite helpful and emailing those backwards and forwards um, and uh, putting very random things in the post as well to them. <laughs> and, uh, and I met uh, in the Muslim quarter, I met a, a lovely lady who was an artist and she used to do the calligraphy on on the rice paper so um so she would write out bible verses that I would send back to them as well you know whatever God was speaking at the time so yeah just trying trying to keep people really engaged and informed and yeah just excited for what was happening even though they were a long way away I I wanted them to really catch the flavor of Mm. of what God was doing out there and and how he was uh catching me up in his purposes as well great so, but then after a while, you felt that you, for, for family reasons, you should go to Canada. So, what happened then? What, what, um, how did that all happen? Yeah, so I'd I've been in China for about five years at that point, and um, was just feeling like it would was time to just you know take a little break, just to sort of regroup and and just really seek seek the Lord again, just to. You know, I think it's it's really important to discern the call, but it's important to keep asking, um, is this still the right place? Is this still the right thing? Is there something else you have for me? Um, you know, what what are we doing? <laughs> Jesus, what are we up to here? Um, so just, yeah, I wanted to take that time out, really. And um, my brother, who I hadn't, my oldest brother, we're quite a big family, who I hadn't had much contact with, really, since we were teenagers, um, he'd moved out to uh, Canada and um, to Vancouver. And so, yeah, so I was asking the Lord, you know, I'd love to spend some time with him. What would that look like? And, um, and then it was interesting because the, the flat that I was staying in, in, in China, previously had an American guy living in it. And he had moved to Vancouver to go to theology school over there. So he said to me, why don't you come to this? I hadn't even told him about my brother moving to Vancouver. He said, why don't you come to Vancouver and just audit some classes over here if you're just wanting to seek the Lord some more and, you know, Mm. get a bit of extra theological training and what have you. So, um, so yeah, prayed into that, felt like it was right. It was two things that, that really felt good to do um to connect with family and to get some more theology training so so I moved to to Vancouver mm-hmm. um so the original plan was to be there for six months and then come back to China um but uh just the the, the way that things sort of transpired I ended up staying quite a bit longer um in Vancouver still expecting to come back to the the mission field um, but God had something very different up his sleeve <laughs> yeah yeah so um so how I mean yeah my, my heart was in Asia I just loved Southeast Asia and um had learned the language and you know really felt like that there was still so much work to do there and so um and I'd always felt like God would lead me back there so that's kind of what I was expecting but then um again God really took me by surprise and started talking about Turkey um, instead and that was really interesting because I had, I'd had no connections with Turkey no interest in Turkey I'd never met a Turkish person in my life so that was a really interesting one um, to discern with God and yeah it, it was good because um, 
I, you know, similar to when God was speaking to me about going to China, I, I really felt like it was important to draw other people in, to pray alongside me, to discern with me. So I wasn't just going off on a whim, but actually, you know, making sure that that, that was a really grounded decision that was supported by, um, you know, my, my praying friends and the church community, really. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so we're praying into that. And it was just extraordinary how, how God was speaking. Um, and in fact, he was speaking so clearly about it that even my non-Christian friends at various times were, were absolutely blown away by the things that were happening. And so, I don't know what's... <laughs> yeah, I know, it was amazing. Give us so, an example of that. Well, one of them was, um, I think, what the, the big turning point that got a lot of people on board, really, was... Um, there was this one evening when I, I'd had uh, some friends over for dinner and some were Christian friends and some were um, non-Christian friends from work. And um, they'd had this thing at, at, at work where they were tracking, there was this great white shark that was named Lydia and it was all over the news because it was the first great white shark that they'd managed to, to tag and it, was, it had some really bizarre behaviours. And this shark was named Lydia. So my work colleagues thought this was really funny. So, so um, our administrator, she was doing the, the uh, where is Lydia on a daily basis. And this great white shark, not to scare anyone in the UK, but it got within 11 miles of Cornwall. And um, so it was kind of big news and that, you know, they were saying, oh, Lydia's swimming home because obviously I was living in Canada, but I was a Brit. And um, anyway, so, uh, <laughs> so I'd had these friends over for um, for dinner and um, one of my work colleagues, um, oh, let me just think, how did the order go? Because it was quite bizarre how this whole conversation unfolded. Um, but uh, yeah, she'd said, oh, we hadn't looked up where, where Lydia the shark was um, today. And everyone was saying, uh, you know, oh, what's this thing about Lydia the shark? And um, a friend of mine from church who I told that, um, you know, that I felt like God was speaking to me about Turkey. Um, she said, oh, I, I bet Lydia the shark's gone to Turkey. And so we, we laughed and, and everyone else was like, what, why would you say that? And so I said, well, this is going to sound really strange to you because you don't even believe in Jesus. But I actually am starting to get the feeling like God might be calling me to Turkey. <laughs> and so we kind of explained all that story and they're a bit like, okay, that's weird. And so one of my friends, Erin, um, who's not a Christian and she said well at, at what point do you buy a ticket and um you know fly to Turkey and so I said I don't know that's the million dollar question I'm just waiting for God to you know really nail down the details of what that needs to look like and um and she said oh well I tell you what if that shark does turn around and go to Turkey then then you'll know it's then you'll know it's God <laughs> no. so at which point we kind of gone past the shark and so my work colleague said oh yeah we were looking up the shark so she looks up where's this shark gone and uh, it's on the ocean search website and it had this big flash up and it said news flash scientists think that Lydia will be in Turkey by the spring <laughs> <laughs> so this shark had completely changed direction it was heading south and uh, so they thought that oh, perhaps amazing. the shark was on its way to Turkey for the warmer waters so um yeah which was a bit bizarre so everybody then um <laughs> began to be with you on that one <laughs> well yeah because then I, I think because that was some of my my good christian friends and non-christian friends and then they were all just completely intrigued by this so in some ways 
everything that happened after that we were all journeying it out together really and um and god just kept on speaking and doing these crazy things like that um and like i said even my non-christian friends by the time i went to turkey they were saying oh 100 percent, you're supposed to be in turkey you need to go to turkey just go to turkey <laughs> so, so by then yeah. um, had you met anybody who else was work working there or how did because i think you went as part of a team in the end is that right i did i did um so i was um when I moved to Vancouver, I joined a church plant um, who had uh, originally come from London. And so they, they were quite a small church plant at that time. And uh, interestingly, the, the pastor was mentoring um, a guy back in London um, who was preparing to plant a church in Istanbul. So he connected us and, and actually that was quite interesting because we, we'd had some other mutual friends as well. And so it just seemed like a good fit. So we were Skyping backwards and forwards and meeting as a team online as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was how I ended up in moving to Istanbul eventually. <laughs> how long were you there? Because then something else happened, right? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so I barely got started with my time um, in uh, Istanbul and I'd, I'd had some trouble with my left knee um, that had just started not long before I'd left Canada. And um, it was just getting very swollen and hot and sore. Um, but I had an old injury there, so I thought it was just a flare-up. And I went to the doctor a few times, and um, they said, oh, it's probably just an injury flare-up. Just rest it, ice it, and what have you. Mm. Um, but when I went to Turkey, it, it got to the point where actually I couldn't walk anymore with it. So it got really quite bad. But I was also starting to feel some, some other illness as well, just in terms of fatigue and um, just other symptoms that just didn't really seem connected to a, a knee problem so I, I just felt like something wasn't right and I'd, I'd never been unwell in my life so this was a kind of a new thing for me really mm. um so um yeah so I was just kind of pushing through and you know determined that it wasn't going to stop me and then um I came back to the UK I was only supposed to be back for five days for a wedding and um I stopped in at um, the A&E just to see if I could get some stronger anti-inflammatories because my knee was quite big at that point. And uh, the triaging nurse said, well, well, what's going on here then? And I said, oh, I just, just need some stronger drugs. Must have some you know, stronger medication. I'll be on my way. And, and she said, yeah, there's absolutely no way that something's going on here. So she called down the orthopedic doctor and, and he was quite concerned because of all the other symptoms as well. And um, so they did some blood tests and my, my bloods were all off whack. And so it kind of started the, this road for investigations. And they said, there's no way that you can fly at the moment. And so I ended up staying in the UK for couple of weeks which turned into a couple of months and um so yeah my health was just deteriorating while they were trying to figure out what on earth was going on really so um so how, yeah. how long did it take them to find out what it was well quite a long time in the end because um I typical really of me but um, it wasn't a, a wasn't a classic presentation of any one specific autoimmune disease so it's I'm kind of a little collection here um, but the trouble is is that to treat an autoimmune disease the medication takes quite a while to kick in so you have to trial certain ones you know to, to figure out which one is the one that works really so yeah so I did an awful lot of trials and nothing really hit the spot um, for quite some time so um, yeah I was quite unwell couldn't work struggle to walk as well half the time I was just sleeping an awful lot really um so it was a rough old year that that first one coming back from uh, turkey but then uh 
and yeah, very eventually. confusing, I would think, after such a clear um, sense of guidance to go there. Yeah, it was it was very confusing. Um, but one thing that actually I found really encouraging was, um, you know, with with China, I think I had to be probably about seventy percent convinced to buy a flight, and off I went. Um, Turkey, it was like God was speaking so much about it. I was a hundred and ten percent convinced, and and I, I remember I remember saying to to my friend, I said, I, I know this sounds weird, but I. I always feel like a little bit offended that God keeps speaking. I mean, I love it, but, but I'm, you know, I, I, I would have gone like 10 signs ago, you know, <laughs> but he keeps like reaffirming this, this call to Turkey. And um, my friend, who's a very wise, wise head, she said, um, well, maybe you're going to have to really contend for this calling one day. She said, you're, she said, I've never seen you more convinced of anything. Um, so I think that, that sort of kept me going through those, darker months when I was back in the UK of saying well, what was that all about here was this big triumphant move to you know Turkey and a new project and a new church plant and then you know after a few months having to come back to the UK again so um yeah so I think it's been an interesting journey with the Lord of you know expecting a very linear path of calling and then actually it's meandered an awful lot <laughs> um, but uh, yeah holding on to that calling and trusting that he's good and he's got good things up his sleeve and you know he um he completes what he starts so yeah so you're still <laughs> believing that you'll get back to turkey one day yeah i really do and it's funny because every now and then i sort of just take that calling off the shelf and dust it off and ask jesus is this still mine or does this is it time to give it up and um yeah no i still get that sense that it's not right now and i don't know when it is or what that looks like but i i kind of get the sense like that's not something i i can let go of at this point and yeah. i feel like i'm made for mission as well so i would be amazed <laughs> if i <laughs> <laughs> stay in England forever that's just I, I just can't see that happening but um but God's timing is always perfect he's never a minute too late and he's never a minute too early <laughs> so just yeah. trusting that he's yeah got something up his sleeve that I haven't seen yet so <laughs> yeah. so then tell us um about COVID because you were had because of this autoimmune disease which is now under control is that right with yeah. other drugs um but you were still deemed to need to shelter um, during the COVID uh, lockdown time. Um, so what, what was that like for you? Yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's been an interesting journey, that's for sure. So, um, so basically the medication that I'm on is it's quite a strong immunosuppressant because it's to keep my immune system under control and to stop it from overreacting and causing all of these symptoms. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's really well under control. So I'm, I'm, I've been back to work for the last couple of years and, um, health wise doing really quite well. Um, but of course, because I'm on immunosuppressant medication, it put me on the shielding list. So, um, so I was sent home from work in March and um, pretty much stayed there, really. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so living in a, a flat by myself was quite an interesting uh, experience. Um, thankfully, with, with work, um, I can fulfill most of my job from home because I've moved away from clinical work into um, clinical support work. Um, so overseeing staff and doing lots of, you know, troubleshooting with um clinical issues and patient and supervisions and what have you so yeah so I spend half of my day on the telephone anyway so I don't feel like I'm necessarily missing uh, out on, on people but um 
but I miss the physical contact with people and actually the freedom of being able to go out and about and yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, right. uh, so what have been your lifelines then during this time? Um, so yeah, well actually the, the, it was interesting because when I came back to the UK, um, the, the same amazing group of people who had supported me all the way through China, my, my team who had my back were the, the people really who, who were still there for me. And, um, so yeah so I think just having people sort of check in and dropping off food I had all kinds of crazy things through the post as well <laughs> like brownies through the letterbox and <laughs> all kinds of things and like little sort of crocheted animals and um yeah all, all the rest of it so that's that's been really amazing just a good set of friends because I think you know when, when you live alone and you're in a flat sort of tucked away in obscurity it's it's easy to feel a bit forgotten but actually there were some really key people who um yeah just did never forgot me and had my back really which was amazing um but also um I was uh, leading worship in our church as well and so when COVID hit of course because we couldn't meet as a church um, we really had to, um, yeah, get our heads together over Zoom meetings and, and figure out, well, what does worship look like? And what does Jesus say about worship? And, you know, what, what are the models in the Bible of worship? And, and so actually that's been a really um, amazing thing to focus on and to work alongside um, the others in the worship team as well to record videos and post them online and um, more recently um, being back in the church building physically um, but not allowed to sing so exploring different ways to worship that isn't musical um, has been uh, just a really exciting thing actually I can't help feeling like you know that, that this was God's plan all along was to blow the doors off what we thought was normal to um, actually explore and plumb the depths of, of what it really means to engage with God so uh, yeah <laughs> that's great so um, just tell us about the because the the thing about re-entry when it's planned is you know you you know more or less what to expect and going back into your own culture is in many ways difficult because you've changed people mm -hmm. around you have moved on all that kind of stuff but if it's not planned and if it's sudden and unexpected I imagine at least in that initial time it must have been very tough yeah it was because um so I've been in China for five years and then I'd been in um Canada for almost four years and then Turkey for a little bit so it was a long time since I'd actually lived mm -hmm. in the UK and um and as you say it wasn't planned all my stuff was still in Turkey for months and months and um but also yeah so going through all of that re-entry um but also just being really quite unwell and just you know fe feeling just I think it was the fatigue that was the hardest thing to deal with in some ways because you just have this brain fog all the time when you're sort of that fatigued and just everything's inflamed and you don't want to move too much um so it's hard to to process a new chronic disease um that kind of took me by surprise but also suddenly re-entry all at the same time it was um yeah that was really quite something and and as you mentioned earlier just asking god well what's this all about you know this this wasn't the plan this was never on the cards um where are you and what are you doing so yeah i had a lot of big questions um at that time um and uh 
yeah because I couldn't work or anything and coming you know straight off the mission field I had a backpack with me that was all five days worth of stuff including a a dress and shoes for a wedding which you know <laughs> wasn't that helpful um so I I, I stayed with a, um, an amazing family who were, were part of my team and um, some of my very best friends and yeah they were just extraordinary really just um I think being the voice of reason in the middle of it all because I think for a little while there I, I struggled to see the wood for the trees really because there was just so much that was overwhelming to sort of get my head around and you know and physically what that looked like as well um just felt like a lot of loss all at once really so um yeah so so having an amazing family who were just you know so laid back but also just so present in the middle of it was amazing really it's mm -hmm. good mm. super well thank you so much for sharing so much one last question what would you say mm. to someone else who is contemplating missions was it worth it for you? Would you do it again? And what, if anything, would you do differently if you did do it again? Oh, good questions. Um, I would say 100% do it. Um, I think it, it changes everything. And even if you don't feel like it's necessarily your life calling or your long-term calling, I think, um, and I've heard a lot of other people say this who I, I know knew on the mission field, is actually the the transformation personally almost outweighs what you're actually doing in the country in some ways, you know, and actually just, um, yeah, just it, it changes everything about how you view people, the world, you know, God's purposes, like God's heart as well. I think, you know, really engaging with God's heart for mission um, and just realizing that actually, you know, that, that thread of mission runs all the way through, right from sort of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, all the way through to the book of Revelation. If we miss God's heart for the ends of the earth, we've missed a whole huge chunk of, of who he is and what he's called us to as his people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I, I hadn't, had I not gone on the mission field, I probably would never engaged in that same way with, with God's heart for the nations. Um, but actually it changes everything when God starts to speak about that. So, um, yeah, as I say, even if you don't feel like it's your long-term calling, if you have the opportunity, I would say 100% do it. It's uh, definitely, definitely worth it. Um, and I think as well, um, yeah, just that initial training, that cross-culture training, um, it just, it can't be missed. It really can't. Um, yeah, just having seen... <laughs> What's that? That's music to my ears. Oh no, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Having experienced that, but also, I mean, obviously, you know, when you're on the mission field, you cross paths with lots of different people who've who've come via lots of different other routes, and just seeing that struggle and that frustration and that clash that people have with with the the culture that they're sent to love, if they don't have that really good underpinning and understanding of what it means to come with that learning posture and. Um, yeah, just learn how to engage with a different culture, really. Um, it just m makes that experience so much richer, but also um, it makes that engagement with the culture so much richer as well in terms of what you can bring and how to approach people and how to build well, rather than sort of hitting brick walls all the time because you're mm. trying to push through with a, a Western mindset. It's just never going to work. So, um, yeah, I would say absolutely don't miss it. It's, it's invaluable. Great. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> it's been great to talk to you. Um, and I, I think I mean, there's an awful lot of food for thought there for people who um, 
might be considering it, don't know where they're heading. Um, but, and especially to just affirm the need for cross-cultural training. Thank you very much mm -hmm. for that. That's all for today. And I look forward to seeing you again in our next interview. Bye-bye and God bless. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons, and other resources, visit our website, fieldpartner.org.